chapter 2. You've turned to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Tonight we're going to look at um, this second chapter again. And this will be the last sermon from Ephesians until the end of of July, since I'm going to be gone. So we're going to break it off here and not actually finish the second chapter. And we'll come back in uh, the next few weeks and we'll finish up this. But we're in the second chapter. And I want to continue our study of the last section of the chapter where Paul is speaking about the unity of Jewish and Gentile Christians. And the basis for unity, he's told us in these verses, is the cross of Christ. And through the cross, Jesus broke down the wall of partition that divided Jews from the Gentiles, and all the rights and the privileges that the Jews once enjoyed had all been abolished. Uh, they were the chosen people of God, but when uh, the, the temple veil was torn in two and Christ died, he opened up the way so that Jews and Gentiles alike could come into the presence of God. And so now we have a spiritual Israel, we have the institution of the church, and that's where all believers can be united in Christ. Now this evening, actually, I want to talk about the 18th verse as we think on the subject, reaching the Father. And every person who is a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you have the right to approach God because you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And based upon that relationship, the Bible teaches us that we have access to the Father. Now what I'd actually like to do tonight is go back and pick up the reading at verse number 14, and we'll read down to verse 18. So if you'd stand with me, please, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, and starting in verse number 14. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off, and to them that were nigh, for through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you uh, for the time we have to come together tonight. Just ask you, Lord, you might bless the reading of your word and the sermon as we talk about uh, reaching the Father tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. How do we have access to the Father? I I probably uh, think or know that All of you have some idea where I'll be going with this message because we understand as Christians that the way we access the Father or communicate with the Father is through prayer. Baptists have traditionally called the Wednesday night service the prayer service or prayer meeting. And even though we don't actually spend all of our time in prayer, one of the things that we do is to come to the Lord in in prayerful consideration of His Word. And we take time that we can uh, set aside for prayers for individual folks that are in the church. Tonight, I don't want to spend so, uh, so much of the time talking about the mechanics of prayer. And certainly, the mechanics of prayer are very important. There's a way to pray. There's a right way to pray. In fact, the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray, and that's because uh, most likely they had seen the way that Jesus prayed. They noticed something that was different about the way that he prayed, and uh, they wanted to learn to pray like he did. They, they saw the power of prayer in Christ, and they wanted to have that very same kind of power. But I'm not going to talk so much about the mechanics of prayer tonight, although I would like to mention this. And that is that all of us, when we pray, we need to learn to pray in the name of Jesus. 
That's the way that we come to the Father. We come in the name of Jesus, and we always ought to mention Jesus in our prayers. I think that's especially important in public praying. Uh, Some of you may be used to saying, in thy name we pray, or in your name we pray. But we need to understand that we're actually praying to the Father, and we come to the Father through the name of Jesus. And so it's always good to mention the name of Jesus in our prayers, especially in public praying, because we need everybody to know exactly what God that we're praying to. So we want to come in the name of Jesus. But this evening, I do want to concentrate on verse number 18, where it says we have access to the Father. And I'd like to make that the first topic of our discussion tonight. First of all, let's talk about the access of prayer. The access of prayer. And I believe as we we consider this subject and, and coming to God in prayer, that one of the things that we need to do is just to stand back for a moment and consider what takes place when we come to the Father. Now, actually, I'm not sure that any of us can can fully fathom what it really means to have an opportunity to come into the presence of Almighty God. I mean, when you go back and you look at the first three verses of of Ephesians chapter 2, and you see where we came from and what we are before we were saved, you just simply have to be amazed at how far that God has brought us. And then to be able to come into the presence of God, that's just nothing short of miraculous. Uh, Earlier in the lessons, I spoke about how how Christians fail to see the depths of our depravity. And then after we're saved, we fail to see how high that God has actually lifted us. And just to come into the presence of God, to have salvation in Christ, is not something that we really ought to pass over lightly. It's not something that we just ought to give little thought to. Because a great thing that's happened, it's brought us from spiritual death into spiritual life. The recreation of every believer in Christ is a miracle from God, and, and we just really need to be awed by that. And, and, and now to think, folks, that the new birth in Jesus Christ has given us access to the Creator, access to the sustainer of the universe, the power of this universe, it really is too wonderful to comprehend. But that's exactly where we are. That's where God has brought us. And so the scriptures tell us that people that were estranged from God, people of every kindred, every tongue, every nation, have been brought near to God. Once we were strangers, but now God allows us to come into his presence. And that's a mind-boggling thing to think about. Now our text verse says here, For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Sometimes people ask us, uh, how do you know that God really exists in three persons? How can you really tell that, that God is a trinity? I mentioned this when we read this verse in one of the other lessons, that uh, this is a verse that you really ought to underline in your Bible, because this is a great Trinitarian verse. It says here, for through him, and the him is Jesus Christ. We both have access by one spirit. And you'll notice in the Bible there that the word spirit is capitalized. And the reason for that, because it's talking about the Holy Spirit. And then it says, unto the Father. And of course, the Father is God the Father. So through Christ, by the Spirit, we have access to the Father. So what Paul is doing here in our journey through this chapter is he's bringing us from the lowest depths of depravity to the place where we can actually reach the Father. Now, let me make this uh, first statement in in the explanation of our access to the Father. Uh, And that is that the goal, 
The goal of this is to reach the Father. The goal of salvation is to reach the Father. When we get saved, it's more than just for temporal blessings. It's more than just for eternal life. And it's more that we might be delivered from death. We're saved, the Bible teaches us, that we might be able to access, to reach, to have communion with, communication with the Heavenly Father. Now, in the last lesson, I spoke about reconciliation. We're reconciled to God. Maybe you remember that sermon. We are reconciled to God. But the goal, the ultimate goal, the final goal, is not reconciliation. The final goal is to come to the Father. Now, you can, you can be reconciled to someone, and yet you might not have intimacy with them. For instance, you may get into an argument with someone, and you, you may say some terrible things back and forth to one another, and then later on you decide to mend the fences, to get back in each other's graces, to make friends once again. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you're back to intimacy once again. You can be reconciled without being intimate. But that's not the way it is with God, because through Jesus Christ we have an intimacy with the Father. It, it's not just that we're just barely citizens of heaven. It, it's not like we're going to be put on a back street somewhere in heaven, living in, a, in heaven's ghettos or something. No, we have access to the Father. We have intimacy with Him. We can come right to where God is. Now, we are so close to Him because the Bible says that we have become the sons of God. We become just like Jesus Christ. Now, John wrote in 1 John 3, verse 2, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but when he, what we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. So the great object of salvation is this very thing, to bring us into the presence of God, And anything that fails of that goal could not be true salvation. In Hebrews, the writer said, Hebrews 10, verse 19, "...having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus." You notice what the verse says? Where does Jesus' blood bring us? It says, "...into the holiest, into the holiest place." And I believe that's right into the throne room of God. When Jesus spoke about eternal life, what did He actually mean by that? What, What did Jesus mean when he said, you can have eternal life. Well, it's actually more than living forever. I want you to listen to what John seventeen three says. Jesus is speaking. He says, and this is life eternal, that, ye might, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. So what is eternal life? Well, eternal life really means to know God. Last year when we were studying the tabernacle, you remember we talked about the Holy of Holies. In the Holy of Holies, that was the place where God appeared. There in the Shekinah glory, in that light that glowed on the top of the Ark of the Covenant, that was the very presence of God with the people. And, and only one person could ever go into the presence of God. One time a year, the high priest went behind the veil with the blood of atonement, and that veil was a veil of separation. It kept everybody out. Just this one time of the year could anyone ever walk in there into the presence of God. But think about this. When we come here tonight, when we come for a prayer meeting at church on on Wednesday nights, this is what we are doing. We are coming in to the presence of God. And you come into the presence of a holy God with your prayers. And yet there are some people who think that Wednesday nights really aren't that important. Members of the church who, who think that, well, it's not a very important service. We can skip it. We can do something else on Wednesday nights. Think about what we're doing here. 
We're coming into the presence of God. We're, we're here with brothers and sisters in Christ. I love the Wednesday night services. It's another opportunity to come to God in prayer. And you wonder how is it that, that Christians can shortchange an opportunity to be in the presence of God? Why would a person want to do that? Just thank the Lord for, for the blessing that he's given us of prayer. Now, when that high priest went into the Holy of Holies, he had a garment on. And on the hem of his garment were the, the golden bells and the pomegranates. Do you remember that? I mean, there was a golden bell and a pomegranate. A golden bell and a pomegranate. and went all the way around the hem of his garment. And so when he was in the Holy of Holies and he was ministering there and, and applying the blood of the sacrifice on the mercy seat, those people that were outside could hear the bells that were ringing as he went about his business. And those people stood back in all of that, to think that here the high priest is actually in the presence of Jehovah God. And they were awed by that. And sometimes I wonder, why is it we don't have awe when we come into God's presence? Why is it when we step in this building that we, 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 we have a holy reverence for it and to think what God's doing here? We're in the presence of God. So the goal is to reach the Father. And I don't understand why we wouldn't take every opportunity to be as close to God as we possibly can. Now, next, next let me say that, that in regards to the access of prayer, the second thing I want to talk about is the result is confidence. The result of this access is confidence. Now, I believe that there are many people who pray who don't have any real confidence in their prayers. And probably most people pray without confidence in their prayers. And when you think about it, most people don't have reason to be confident in their prayers because they don't really know Christ. And if you don't have Christ, there is any basis for confidence. There's no right to come to God. If there's no relationship with Christ, there's no right to come into the presence of God. And you can't come until a relationship has been established with Christ. You see, it's not possible for a person to reject Christ and at the same time not reject the Father, not to reject God. Because what did Jesus say? I and my Father are one. Jesus is God. He's one with the Father. And so to have Christ is to have the channel of blessings. It's the conduit by which we reach the Father. And then I might also add that a, that a proper viewpoint of God is essential. There are some people who think that they can come into the presence of God and they don't need to be bothered by all this theological stuff. Don't worry about the theology of things. I mean, that's too complicated. Let's don't talk about that stuff. It really doesn't matter what I believe. It doesn't matter what I do. None of that matters because God is always open to hear what I say. God will always hear me. I don't need to worry about the doctrinal stuff. You know, that's phony as a $3 bill. And I'll tell you why. Because prayer is based upon teaching. Prayer is based upon doctrine. And once again, that's why the disciples said to Jesus, teach us to pray. Prayer is based upon the doctrine that we know. Now, theology is all important. So don't think that you can do without the depths of the teaching of God's word. Don't think that you're going to know God and have power in your prayers if you don't know something about the God that you serve. I mean, you can't worship somebody that you don't know. And if you don't know him well, then you can't have confidence in him. 
Now, if you wonder why that we come together on Wednesday nights and perhaps even on Sunday nights and we deal with subjects other than just the simple salvation message, why do I do that? Because I want you to know God. Because I want you to have power in your prayer. I want you to know something about the God that you serve. We need more than just salvation messages. Now, uh, uh, you can come to God with confidence and without hesitation when you know who God is. And so confidence comes as you know more about God, the one that you're praying to. Now, you think about it for a moment. How much confidence do you have in people that you don't know? Can you have confidence in somebody that you don't know? A few weeks ago, um, just before supper time, around supper time, my wife had the television on and Judge Judy was on. And I was watching Judge Judy. And uh, she was judging a case, and there was a lady and a man who walked in, and this woman had loaned this man some money. And she said it was a gift, but he said that it was a loan. And, uh, or the other way around, one of the two, one of them thought it was a gift, and one of them thought it was a loan. Well, this, uh, the Judge Judy looked at this lady, and she said, well, how, how long have you known him? And she said, well, I just knew him a few days. And Judge Judy said, you mean you loan money to somebody that you don't even know? And she kind of looked incredulous about that, meaning that, that she would loan that money. How can you trust somebody that you don't know? And the same thing is true with God. How can you trust somebody you don't know? How can you have confidence in somebody that you don't know? Well, the point of the whole matter is you don't. You even might think that you do, but you don't. You can't have confidence if you don't know God well. And you can't know God well if you absent yourself from the teaching, if you're not present for the church services. Now, you need to know more. And folks, if you are content, and this crowd is, and I know we're always preaching the wrong crowd, it seems, but, but people who are content to stick with John 3.16 and stop right there, they're not going to have any power in their prayers because they don't know God well enough to have confidence in Him. So we need that. Now, the second thing that I want to talk about tonight is the essentials of prayer. The essentials. And there are two essentials of prayer that cannot be dispensed with. And you can't have just one of these. You have to have both. And you can't emphasize one to the exclusion of the other. You've got to have both of these. Now, let me emphasize this one more time. There are some things that you need to know before you go to God in prayer. Before you come into His presence, there are some things that you need to know. Now, there are many people that are confused about this, and, and someone will say, they, they might come to you, and they say, well, I've got a problem. I've got a real problem, and I don't know how to deal with this problem. I need some help. And you just say, well, it's real simple. All you need to do is just go pray. Just go sit down and pray about it. And we tend to think that prayer is just a simple thing. Go sit in your easy chair, get you a glass of iced tea, prop your feet up and start talking to God because God's there for you. God's always going to listen to you. God's just waiting to hear what you have to say. But folks, I'll tell you something. Prayer is not that simple. And the reason that people don't have power in prayer may be because of this. They've tried to simplify prayer too much. There are some essential requirements that have to be met. Let me talk to you about two essential requirements. The first one is that we come by Jesus. We come by Jesus. Now, the Scripture says in verse 18, through Him. And once again, there is no access to God without Christ. Now, we've already talked about this some. But we can't overemphasize this. You cannot come to the Father without mentioning Jesus Christ. Jesus said himself, no one comes to the Father but by me. 
I think all of you know the verse in John 14, 6, where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And we read that verse, and we quote that verse, and we have the idea that verse is speaking about salvation. No one gets saved except they come by Christ, because he's the one, the way that we get to the Father. And that's true. That is a salvation verse. But we need to understand this as well. It's also a prayer verse. It's also a prayer verse. For anybody who wants to know how to get a prayer answered, John 14, 6 is a prayer verse. No one bypasses Jesus Christ. Now, we say there's only one way of salvation. That's Jesus. It's absolutely true. And there's only one way of prayer, and that's through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way. And he didn't say, I'm one of many ways. And that's another thing that people get confused about. Even Christians or in, nom- in name Christians, nominal Christianity, they get confused about this, that there may be other ways that we can actually get to God. But you know, Paul made this very clear. In 1 Timothy 2, verses 5 and 6, he said, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. There's one mediator. Not many mediators, only one mediator. And so I'm here to tell you tonight that a Roman Catholic who comes to God praying through Mary is not going to get his prayers answered. A Roman Catholic who invokes the name of a saint or anyone who does that or who prays in the name of an angel in order to get prayers answered are not going to get prayers heard by God. A Roman Catholic who goes to a priest and asks him to be a mediator or depends upon the Pope to be his mediator, he's not going to get his prayers answered because there is only one access to God, and that's through Jesus. Paul said in in verse 6 of 1 Timothy 2 that Christ gave himself as a ransom for all. And folks, it's that fact, and it's only that fact that grants access to the Father. Let me give you another verse that very clearly teaches the doctrine. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, Peter wrote, For Christ also has suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. Now listen, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Who is it that brings us to God? Christ brings us to God. And so if you're going to go to God in salvation or in your prayers... You have to be carried on the back of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no other way. Now, think about this then. Why is it that Christ is the only way to the Father? I mean, why can't Mary do this? Why why can't the angels? Why can't some saint convey our prayers to God? Why is that? Because Jesus Christ is the only one who is our sin bearer. Now, doesn't the Bible say this? It says your sins... Your iniquities are separated between you and your God. Doesn't the Bible say that? So how are you going to come to God if you still have sin? Mary can't take away sin. Saints can't take away sin. Angels don't take away sin. Only Jesus takes away sin. Sin has to be taken care of. It has to be taken away from us before we can come into the presence of God. You go back to the Old Testament and you see it over and over and over again. What did Israel have to do? They had to make the sacrifice. And the sacrifice was the means by which sins are taken away, at least in a figure, because that pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ. And if Israel does not make the sacrifice, there are no sins that are forgiven. What did Aaron do, the high priest? Remember how Aaron went and he confessed the sins of the people on the head of the scapegoat? And then Aaron sent that goat away into the wilderness, never to be seen again. And then there was a second goat that was taken, and that goat was slain. That was the offering. And so it actually took 
two goats to picture what Jesus has done for us. Number one, he's taken our sins as far away from us as the east is from the west. Never to be remembered, never to be seen again. And secondly, he died on the cross to pay for those sins. So it took the two goats to picture that. So think about it. How could you just simply advise somebody to go sit in their chair and pray and wait for an answer without telling them there is an essential requirement before you can pray? You need to know Jesus Christ. You need to have a relationship with him. And if you don't, then you can't pray. Now, some then try to make the mistake of trying to reach the Father in other ways, either without Jesus or adding something to Jesus, and it simply won't work. But let me show you the second essential. Now, some folks, they may have the first part right. They, they come by Jesus. They know that. They know the essential nature of the atonement. They know that an atonement has to be made for sins before they can reach the Father. But unfortunately, they miss the second part. And you can't have one without the other. You can't emphasize one to the exclusion of the other. So what else do you need? Well, the Bible's teaching us right here that we come by the Spirit. We come by Jesus... But we come also by the Spirit. Now you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, I know that. That's a given. We all know that, of course. You can't get to the Father except by the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's we understand that. But you know, folks, there are Baptists all over the country who say, of course, we must come by the Spirit. But then in practice, they actually deny it. Now, this is where so many of the sinner's prayer advocates go wrong. Because they'll come to a person and they'll say, now you just say this prayer, ask Jesus to come into your heart and you'll be saved. Or they may say, sign the card, put your name on the dotted line, and then ask Jesus to save you, come in your heart, and then you'll be saved. But you know what they left out? They left out the Holy Spirit. They left out the essential work of the Holy Spirit. They've excluded that. And you cannot get into the presence of God without the Holy Spirit. Now, you may pay him lip service. You may mention him in some way. But but when you go up to that person's home or whatever it is, and you are not depending upon the Holy Spirit to move that person's heart and to regenerate the heart, then you're going to miss salvation. They're going to miss it completely. Now, here's what what happens. I mean, folks, you, you could say a thousand prayers. You can say prayers, the sinner's prayer, in fact, Until Jesus comes again, if that's 2,000 years away, you could repeat it over and over again. And unless the Holy Spirit is working, a person can't get saved. It just doesn't happen. The Holy Spirit has to work. You can sign a 1,000 decision cards, but if the Holy Spirit is not working in a person's heart, they cannot be saved. Now, I'm not telling you that the Holy Spirit won't work in a person's heart because I believe that he will. But we can't go tell people about Jesus without depending upon the Holy Spirit to move them to salvation. No one understands about Jesus until the Holy Spirit has worked on a person's heart. That's the way it has to happen. Now, I mentioned this before. You all know how I feel about this. I mean, I'm, I'm somewhat opposed to a lot of the begging and the pleading that goes on a lot of times at invitation time. I think that we ought to exhort. The scripture certainly does say we ought to exhort people. We ought to encourage them to come to Christ. But I could stand up here and give 47,000 verses just as I am. If the Holy Spirit's not working, people won't get saved. There's one preacher who wrote in his book that you have to sneak up on sinners. That's what he said. He said, you've you got to catch them unaware. Because if you don't, if you just say the wrong thing at the wrong time, that fellow's going to dig his heels in and he's going to resist the gospel of Christ. 
You know what I think about that? I just happen to be a person who believes in the irresistible grace of God. And what I mean by that is, when God gets ready to save somebody, neither you nor any demon from hell is going to be able to stop it. God saves who he wants to save. Now, when you come uh, to to God in, in prayer in salvation, you had better believe this. Now, this is the absolute truth of the matter. You had better believe that all the demons of hell are trying to prevent it. When a person's at the point of getting saved, you better believe that, that Satan's out there, the demons are out there, those evil angels are trying everything they can do to keep a person from getting saved. You know what I've never done? I, I've never met a preacher who was any match for the devil. I've never met a preacher who's a, a match for one demon, much less legions of demons. I'm no match for the devil. And I know this, unless the Holy Spirit is working, I will never convince a person, I will never grab a person out of the clutches of Satan if the Holy Spirit's not working in that person's heart. And I also know that a prayer will never get higher than the ceiling unless the Holy Spirit conveys that to God. So these are the essentials. To reach the Father, we must come through Him, through Jesus. We we must come by the Spirit, and that's the Holy Spirit of God. Now, let's go on to the last observation. We'll finish with this. Number three is the problems of prayer. Problems of prayer. Now, if you've ever prayed even one prayer, you know that there are problems in prayer. All of us have experienced problems. Sometimes those problems are difficult for us to overcome. Let me give you here three problems in prayer. Now, you may come up with many more, and I'm I'm sure there probably are many more problems, but I'm just going to talk about three problems concerning prayer. The first one is that we have difficulty realizing God's presence. Difficulty realizing God's presence. Now, let's think about this for a moment. What does the Bible say about God? It says that God is a spirit. Anybody here ever seen a spirit? I've never seen a spirit. I mean, just by nature of the thing, uh, a spirit is immaterial, so you can't see a spirit. When you have fellowship with someone, you're, you're used to feeling that person's presence. I mean, you can see them, you can talk to them. Even if you can't see them, you might talk to them on the phone, and of course you hear their voice audibly, and so you know that you're in that person's presence. Well, God is not physically present. And so in our human awareness, we're already at a disadvantage because we can't actually see God. But then something else is taking place because we also know that Satan is a spirit. We can't see Satan either. So here's what happens. When you talk to God, Satan and all the demons are listening too. They're they're hearing what you say. And when you're waiting for God to talk back to you, Satan's ready to talk back to you as well. He's going to try to sidetrack your prayers. Now, I remember when I was a kid, my grandmother who lived in, uh, in Kansas... Oh, this was way back, late 50s, early 60s, that she was a telephone operator. And she actually had the telephone office right there in her house. And she had one of these great big switchboards, and she was, had all these lines that you plugged into here and plugged into there when people called, and somebody you had to take this one out and put it down there. And you know one thing they used to have back then? They used to have the party line. You know what I'm talking about? The party line. When you're on the party line, everybody hears what you have to say. All they have to do is pick up the phone. And there was nothing greater for gossip than the party line. I mean, everybody knew everybody else's business. Well, folks, let me tell you something. Satan is on the party line. He hears everything that you're saying to God. He's a spirit. He knows what's going on. And uh, he's trying to do something about those prayers. Now, I want to tell you something because this was really weird. And this tells you how people are so confused about things. About three or four months ago, 
I was speaking to a preacher friend of mine from the Fresno area, and he was telling me about a book that he had written. And this book was all about Christians who are defeated in their prayers because they let the devil in on their secrets. Now, you see, the devil overhears our prayers, and, and we just give him the advantage of, of, of what we're going to say because he hears what, we, what our secrets are. We don't keep our prayers secret from Satan. And so he encourages in his book for people to go, go hide somewhere in secret in order to pray. Now, I thought about that, and I said, wow, how confused people are. The devil's a spirit. He's working on the mind. You can't keep the devil out. You can't keep him out by, by keeping uh, secrets from him. And I just wondered how it is in all of Christian history that nobody ever figured that out. The reason that we can't get our prayers answered is because the devil is listening in and we've got to keep our prayers secret so he doesn't hear it. And so they just never figured out that the devil was eavesdropping all the time. This is a late arrangement. I mean, a late discovery. Now... We have a problem when we come to God because when God talks to us, the devil wants to talk to us too. And we have to discern which is the voice of God and which is the voice of Satan. And we know this, God is there. And when you pray in the right way and then you pray in the knowledge of God, you're able to discern the voice. You can tell which voice is speaking to you, but it doesn't come unless you know God. It's having that that knowledge of him that I talked about a moment ago. That's how you're going to find out the will of God. The more that you know about him, the more effective your prayers are, and the easier it is for you to tell the answers to those prayers. Now, here's the second problem that we have. The second one is we have difficulty remaining focused. Anybody here testify to that? Do we have difficulty remaining focused? I mean, you can go and start praying, and in the first 30 seconds, there goes your mind. It's off, on some, it's off somewhere else. When you read a book, you can concentrate on a book, can't you? You don't lose your concentration. When you're speaking to someone, I mean, usually a person can hold your attention and you can hold their attention and you don't lose your concentration. But as soon as you start praying, the focus is lost. Your mind is on everything else except what you're praying about. Now, that's the old devil that I've been talking about here. Why does that happen? You see, I don't care how secret that you want to be. You can go in your closet, and you can hide underneath all the clothes and all the junk that's in the closet and pile the shoes on top of your head, bury your head so nobody can see you, and here's what's going to happen. About two or three minutes into the prayer, your mind's in Roanoke Park. I mean, you're, you're, you're in Roanoke Park, and your mind's off in Tahiti somewhere because you're thinking about everything else but your prayers. So we have a problem remaining focused. And that's because the devil is present there in every prayer. He's, uh, he, he's trying to get your focus off what you're praying. Now, here's the third problem we have. We have difficulty when reminded of our unworthiness. I think every truly spiritual person is aware of how unworthy we are. And sometimes that we can be overcome with feelings and we, we may think, I'm too evil. I mean, I've, I've done too much... Too many bad things. God doesn't want to listen to me. And so I, I just can't come into the presence of God because I'm not worthy to come into his presence. And folks, that would be true if it weren't for Jesus. None of us would be worthy to come into his presence. Only Jesus can make a person worthy. But when you feel that sense of unworthiness, this is when you need to realize that you don't come to God based upon your own merits. You don't come because of anything that you've done. You come to God with the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the perfect 
righteousness of Christ. And he's the one that makes you worthy. And so when you get those feelings, think about the righteousness of Christ that you have, and then those feelings will begin to subside. But I would warn everyone, never go to God unless you come in humility. Always bow yourself. Always be humble before God, because only through Christ is a person worthy. Now, you may, you may say, well, the, these are the problems. I mean, I've got all of these problems. I've got all three of those problems. I've got other problems in my prayers. And I wish that I didn't have all the problems when I pray. Let me tell you something about prayer, though. It's time to start worrying when prayer gets too easy. When prayer becomes easy for you and the devil starts to leave you alone, then trust me on this, you've got a worse problem than you ever thought you had. Because at that point, the devil knows that there's no use bothering you because your prayers aren't going anywhere anyway. And so actually, the problems of prayer become the encouragement of prayer. And what I mean is, you know if there's opposition there, you must be doing something right. I mean, you you must be praying right. You must be doing something right because the devil's trying to hinder you every step of the way. So the problem actually becomes the encouragement. So don't ever feel that you're defeated in prayer because you have a problem with praying. That's always going to be present when you're praying the right way. The devil's always going to oppose you. Now, let me finish with this last statement on your listening sheet. Why do you want to pray? You ever thought about that? I mean, why is it that you want to pray? When you become a Christian, just now you just seem to have this innate desire that you want to pray. Well, why is that? I mean, later, of course, you may start to neglect prayer, but still, you realize you should pray to God. You should have that relationship. Well, why is it? Why is it that you want to pray? Well, here it is. The Holy Spirit creates a spiritual mind in you. You want to pray because the Holy Spirit has created this spiritual mind. So you have access to the Father, but you also want this access to the Father. A spiritual mind's been created. Now, of course, sometimes people without Christ will also pray. But why do they pray? Well, they might pray when they're in a tight spot. They may begin to pray when they've tried everything else and nothing else works. They'll say, well, might as well try praying. But you know, a Christian doesn't come to God in that way. We, We don't come to God simply for the reason that we want something from him. We, we may need, we need all kinds of things from him, but we don't come simply because we want something, but we come to God in prayer because we desire his fellowship. We desire to be intimate with him. We want to talk one-on-one with God. See, there's no lost person that ever desires that because the Bible teaches that every person without Christ is an enemy of God. We're at enmity with God. So a lost person doesn't want a closeness of fellowship, but that's not true of a Christian Because Christ has come and made peace between us and God, we desire the fellowship. We have peace of mind, and because our relationship to God has been restored through our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we want to reach the Father. Aren't you glad that you're saved? Man, you ought to be glad. I mean, now now you have a heavenly Father. Now you have a, a wonderful brother, the Lord Jesus Christ. And folks, this is what salvation is all about. It's all about reaching the Father. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the access of prayer. We thank you, Lord, that we can come into your presence, that, Lord, as your children, based upon the righteousness of Jesus Christ and the relationship that we have with him, that we can come to you in prayer. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who conveys those prayers and speaks to our hearts and 
And Lord, helps us, as the, your word says, with groanings that cannot be uttered. Lord, we just pray that you might speak to each of our hearts tonight. Help us to realize whose presence that we're in. And Lord, just help us to look at you as the awesome God. And we'll give you the praise for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's please stand as we sing. I have-